I see a sparkling city, shimmering in the sky, glittering and glowing, coming down out of heaven and from the sky. Heaven is coming down to earth. God's city is beautiful with walls of topaz and jasper, sapphire, wide streets paved with gold, gleaming pearl gates that are never locked or shut. Where is the sun? Where is the moon? They aren't needed anymore. God is all the light that people need. No more darkness, no more night. And the king says, look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding. No more crying or being lonely or afraid. No more being sick or dying because all of those things are gone. Yes, they're gone forever. Everything sad has come untrue. These fantastical words paraphrased from the book of Revelation by Sally Lloyd-Jones in the Jesus Storybook Bible invite us to see with childlike innocence a world to come. The true world of the inbreaking power of God where God and his children are together again, where everything is made new and where everything sad comes untrue. This morning I believe that everything sad comes untrue when heaven comes down to earth. One of the great philosophers of our time from Detroit, Michigan, a guy named Sean Anderson, says, I'm here for a good time, not a long time. He says, it is what it is. You get what you give. You have to come to my side to see how I live. I cannot see heaven being much better than this. Now, I'm not here to condemn Big Sean. In fact, I too grew up on the streets of Detroit, homeless, living in abandoned buildings and cars. I know firsthand the stench of the skin of alcoholic men who sleep in the back of city buses. I know the awkward limp of prostitutes outside of drug houses. And I know all too well the temptation to equate the good times and the good things of this world with heaven on earth. In fact, my life now, by comparison, feels very much like heaven on earth. But I want us to see this morning how very far this world is from what God intended. And how desperately people need for you and I to be that glittering, gleaming city that comes down out of heaven and from the sky with the power to make everything sad come untrue. In our eschatological theology, we understand that the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven at the end of time is much more than a mere physical city. It is made of the flesh and blood of women and men who throughout time have chosen to belong to God and belong to God's great mission. We are living into a future certain eschatological reality. And can I say to you that when heaven comes down, the kingdoms of this world of sadness come untrue. The kingdoms of our world are predicated upon and are propagating a world of sadness. Our world is broken. We live in a world where evil empires reign, where the poor and the marginalized are exploited, where the beauty of the earth is raped for its resources. We live in a world that is not the way it is supposed to be, a world of hunger and displacement and fear. The Christian philosopher Cornelius Plantinga has said this. He said, in our world, the human predicament is that things are not the way they are supposed to be as God created them, as God intended them. Sin is the reality that has horrific consequences that affect us personally and as a society. And the brokenness of our world is not merely the amalgamation of individual sins. It is the currency by which the kingdoms of this world operate. Kingdoms that operate outside of the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And what is a kingdom? A kingdom is so much more than a geopolitical state. A kingdom is a living organism. 
expressing its volition, its will. In this sense of the word, a kingdom is known by what it's for, what it believes, what it creates, as well as what is it, it's against and what it seeks to dominate and to destroy. And in this sense of the word, we live in a world of clashing kingdoms, of war-waging giants seeking to express their dominion over every area that ought to belong to Jesus Christ. And we have the obvious ideological kingdoms of the West and radicalized Islam, the geopolitical kingdoms of the United States and ISIS, but I think it's the less known, the less obvious kingdoms that exert the greatest control and influence over our everyday lives. We have the expanding, sparkling kingdom of Google and its evil counterpart, Apple, that seeks to lock away your own content into its proprietary systems. We have the beauty of Qdoba with all of its tempting verde salsa and guacamole and its evil counterpart, Chipotle. <laughs> We've all that we could ever ask for or need in the deliciousness and the effervescence of Diet Coke and its unmentionable cola rival. The New York Yankees, Tesla, Facebook, Google, all multi-billion dollar valuations, but so much more than companies, they are kingdoms. Kingdoms are real things. And I want to say that any kingdom outside of the reign and rule of Jesus Christ plays a part in propagating a world of sorrow and sadness and human misery. To one degree or another, and in varying levels of awareness to be sure, all kingdoms contribute to a world system of sadness. Our world is broken. It is not the way that it's supposed to be. And I want to say that our world is in desperate need of women and men who will choose to belong to God and to belong to God's great mission that will go out into this world of desperation with the power to make everything sad come untrue. You know, sadness is so much worse than just having a bad day. Some of you are probably having a bad day. And we think little about the word sadness. We've reduced it to an Instagram emoji. Sadness is how we feel when Starbucks stops selling our pumpkin spice lattes at the end of our fall. But real sadness eclipses our world. It saturates our soul with a human toll that is unimaginable. Today, the vast majority of our world's chocolate is made from cocoa that's been harvested by forced child labor. Little girls and boys made in the image of God that ought to be riding bikes or learning how to read and write in school or enjoying a summer vacation are instead carrying the dense weight of forced labor. There are hundreds of thousands of sex slaves in the United States, with the average age of entry into forced prostitution now the same age as my daughter, 13 years of age. Our world is weighted down with the dense weight of sadness. As we try to uh, describe sadness academically, our words fail us, our concepts collapse in on us with words like sorrowful and deplorable and dark. But the word sadness dates back over a thousand years and it refers to being overwhelmed and weighted down and saturated from carrying a dense weight. Have you ever carried a dense weight? Something so long and so far that it's become a part of your story and you wonder if you will ever be free from this dense weight. You've come into this auditorium, some of you, and as we talk about geopolitical realities and eschatological realities, you could care less because you've come into this auditorium carrying a dense weight. Vine loops haunt you as they remind you of the things that you've done in the dark where you thought no one would see Others of you are carrying the dense weight of internet pornography with your mobile devices filled with loops of images that possess you. 
Perhaps you're carrying the dense weight of prescription medication or drugs or alcohol. Some of you are mitigating your dense weight by cutting your own flesh, hoping to allow that darkness to evaporate into the night sky. There are many ways in which we carry the dense weight of darkness. But look, God and his children are together again. No more running away or hiding, no more crying or being lonely or afraid. Everything sad has come untrue. Today, I believe the dense weight that you carry can come untrue as you choose to belong to God and as you choose to belong to God's mission. Today, the dense weight of darkness and despair, of displacement, and even death and sickness can come untrue in our world as we choose to live into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Your freedom, your purpose, your destiny is to embrace who God has made you to be. To embrace the fact that you are God's woman created in his image and sent out into this world with the power to make everything sad come untrue. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your purpose in the earth. This is why you are here. To know God and to join him in his great mission. See, I believe heaven comes down when we choose to be that living city of God, when we choose to belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the sadness falls from our lives. Do you realize that if you're a Christian here today, you have been given supernatural, resurrection, Holy Spirit-filled power that can literally bring an end to darkness, to sickness, to despair, even to death. And you will either live into that kingdom or you will be a slave to one of countless other kingdoms that propagate sorrow and sadness in our world today. This is what I call true reality. We live in a world of modalities of reality. We bricolage our worldviews, amassing a way of understanding ourselves and our world that seems to fit best. At the beginning of my message, I, I cited two very different philosophers, Big Sean, a hip-hop artist from Detroit, Michigan, and Cornelius Plantinga, a Christian philosopher. And in citing these two philosophers, I didn't mean to equate their philosophic prowess, their academic success, their intellectual integrity. We would never put a hip-hop artist in the same category as a philosopher. But in some ways, Big Sean is the more important philosopher. He's the one that my 13-year-old recites. He's the one that writes the meta-narrative understanding of our pop culture. I'm way up. I feel blessed. I'm way up. I feel blessed. I live the life I deserve. Blessed. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you are worried because you know the words that come next are inappropriate for a chapel service. <laughs> I want to say that Big Sean's philosophy is reality. It's the reality of grinding hard, of self-aggrandizement, of finding our utility and our sexual identity. It is the reality of violence and vengeance, but it is not true reality. And one day, when the temple is opened and filled with smoke and the glory of Jesus descends, true reality will descend and make everything sad come untrue. But right now, we live in a world of brokenness. And our world is in desperate need of women and men who will choose to belong to God and belong to God's great mission. For the last 17 years, I've devoted my life to fighting modern-day slavery. I've led a movement coast-to-coast -coast called The Price of Life. And through these campaigns, we've hosted hundreds of events that have brought together state and federal lawmakers and medical practitioners and business elite and students and academicians in the fight against forced prostitution. And over the years, the price of life has had incredible results. 
We have literally helped write and change state and federal law. We've increased bed capacity for clients and survivors. We've started foundations and non-for-profits, and we've launched the careers of countless men and women into anti-trafficking work. We've created sustainable solutions. We've brought the fight of human trafficking to the very center of many of our important urban centers. We've created sustainable funding sources. But on my journey to fight modern-day slavery, I found myself weighted down with the dense weight of sadness one night in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I was there at the capital city interfacing with law enforcement and government officials as well as some of our world's best non-governmental organizations that are providing services for the seemingly endless pool of forced prostitutes in that city. And even though I had read of the case studies, I had seen the undercover footage, I was emotionally unprepared for what I encountered. Night after night, very, very young girls were being brought to the hotel rooms on my secure floor by hotel security, night after night. And I could hear their cries, I could hear their protests through the thin walls, and I was powerless to do anything, to end their fears, to wipe away their tears. One night, the sky opened with thunder and lightning, so near I could feel it in my teeth. And I sat before this picture window as I watched the endless night flicker into day, as I sat before that window, all of my very impressive work seemed to be nothing more than a mere flicker in an endless city of darkness. Cambodia is an ancient land of epic misery and human woe. It's a kingdom that's predicated upon sadness with the currency that can be measured in the souls of its children. And in that moment, I came to the end of myself, and I realized that I was powerless to do anything about what was happening in the next room, let alone what was happening in a world of injustice. And my heart broke, and I fell to the floor weeping for the 8- to 12-year-old children that I had visited with that day in a rehabilitation school for forced prostitutes. I laid on the floor weeping for the girls protesting in the rooms around me. I laid weeping for the families in Spipak and the rural villages outside of Phnom Penh who saw no better alternative but to sell their own children into slavery. And with each crackle and boom, I would say, How long, O oh Lord, before you bring an end to this darkness? How long before our good works is nothing, are nothing more than a mere flash in an endless city of darkness? When will you bring an end to this, Lord? And I want to tell you this morning, this is where mission begins. It is not where it ends. There is something beautiful and holy and pure and right when we come to the end of ourselves, our resources, our charisma, our intellect, and we realize the weight is too heavy. The darkness is too long. There is no woman, no man that can bring an end to the darkness. But one day, God will permanently light up the sky. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of the covenant, and there came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a severe hailstorm. No children's book. One day the darkness will end, and God will rain justice down in Revelation chapter 11, at this last great trumpet call, Jesus will take up his power and he will begin to reign and rule. One day the kingdoms of this world will collapse and all will come under the control of Jesus Christ. 
This is the very epicenter of Christian mission. This is where all of our good works, all of our efforts point to this day of days where Jesus takes up his power and begins to reign. But right now, you and I have been called to be this light in a dark land. You and I have been given the power to bring an end to sadness through Christian mission. You and I are playing a part in bringing that future eschatological reality into this world. Stanley Hauerwas, a missiologist, has said of the church that we are a harbinger of the future. We are an eschatological anomaly born out of time and space. We are bringing heaven to earth. Now, how do we do that? Practically, how do we actually bring heaven to earth? I believe it's when we choose love. When we choose to join God in his mission of love, everything sad comes untrue. True Christian mission revolves around the power of love. Love changes everything. It changes us. It changes others. It changes our world. Love even changes the world to come. Andy Crouch in his book Culture Making asks the question, are we creating things that have any hope of lasting into the next world? He says later that the glory of the nations will include our best realizations of the potentiality of God's world, the best use of minerals, of sound, of color, of thermodynamics, and it will all be summed up as praise, he says, because the ultimate meaning of the world is love. Love changes everything. Love is God's great plan to make everything sad come untrue. Never underestimate your capacity to change the world through a single relationship of love. At the end of the day, Christian mission comes down to this. I came to faith as an atheist philosophy student, as Jim shared, and when I was growing up, I wasn't your garden variety atheist. In fact, we had a sign in the front of our house that said, the Moors, the atheists, we had a barrel on the side of our house for burning Bibles. And so when I went to the University of Michigan, I became an honors philosophy student, fell in love with learning, fell in love with academia, and fell in love with philosophy. And I acquired the nickname Satan as I was a persecutor of Christians, wrote papers against Christians, and lectured against Christians. And when I became one, which is a topic for perhaps another visit, when I became a Christian, I was convinced that Jesus Christ was the greatest person that I had ever met, and that the gospel was the greatest idea in the world, and that Jesus could change people's lives because he had changed mine. And so I committed my life to preaching Christ. And over the years, I've been able to lead thousands and thousands of students to a first-time decision for Christ. But I faced a crisis of faith weighted down with the dense weight of sadness when I went to the Urbana Missions Conference in Urbana 2000. And I sat in the stadium that night listening to a man named Gary Haugen paint a picture of the suffering of modern-day slaves. And as I listened to the founder of the International Justice Mission tell stories and statistics about the suffering of little girls and boys locked away in darkness, my heart broke. Could my Jesus do anything about something so monstrous? Could my Jesus free people locked away in darkness? I was sure that Jesus could save people's souls, but could he actually change the world? Just a few weeks before hearing Gary's message, I held in my, pa my hands for the first time these papers that document my great-great-grandfather's slavery. Burrell Avery was the property of a Kentucky slave owner. He fought in the colored army 
And when he died, his family got nothing. All of his benefits went to his master. Now, I didn't need to hold these papers in my hands to realize that my heritage as an African-American was one of suffering and servitude, of slavery. But that night at Urbana 2000, I sat in those rafters with these two images in mind, one of the suffering of little girls and boys locked away in a hellish nightmare, and the other of the suffering and the injustices of my ancestry. And my heart broke. But in that moment, the love of God came down upon me. It filled my heart and raised me to my feet, and I made a pledge to God. I said, God, if you were able to save my people from the last great global tyranny on earth, God, if you were able to free my people, you must be able to do something about modern-day slavery. God, would you use me? God, would you use me? That's what God is looking for, women and men who will rise to their feet and say, God, I know the darkness is too vast. God, I know the weight is too heavy, but God, would you use me? And I left that conference born again, again, believing that God was not merely after individual souls, but that God was after the whole thing, that he would not stop until the kingdoms of this world became the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Do you believe that here this morning? God is after the whole thing. That God isn't going to stop until he has everything under the possession and control of Jesus Christ. That night, I, choose, I chose to love God and to love God's world in a way that was costly. That night, I chose to enter into the greater story of the mission of God. That night, I chose a love that was difficult. A love that would take me to dark places and to hear dark things. But that love has also carried me to places where I was able to contribute to the greater mission of God, the greater story of God. Now, I want to get practical here this morning before we draw our time to a close. Because I think deep down we all know that love changes everything. We were created for it. We were meant for it. We are driven to love with such a power that we oftentimes settle for a counterfeit version of it. You may have recently heard of the hacking of the online giant Ashley Madison. Over 40 million users, all paying $49 a month to have access to other users for the purpose of hooking up to having illicit affairs. The kingdom of Ashley Madison is a kingdom that's predicated upon the human misery of infidelity. It's predicated upon our drive and our desire for a money-back love, a self-centered love. But true reality teaches us that love is an investment. That love involves sacrifice, that love seeks the betterment and the flourishing of the world around us, particularly those who are in desperate need. Can I say to you that our world is in desperate need of God's love? And that you can choose to be a conduit of something great. You can unleash a power in this world that can reverse the curse of death and disease and despair and displacement and fear by choosing to belong to God and to belong to God's mission. I want to challenge you to consider coming to Urbana 15. Urbana 15 is a conference unlike anything I've ever encountered. And I could sit here and tell you all of the reasons why you should go to Urbana 15 and sell you. I could tell you that it's the world's oldest and largest missions conference. I could tell you that Urbana 15, you'll hear from 260 world-class organizations and seminaries. I could tell you about the 150 workshops. I could tell you that you could meet your spouse at Urbana 15. I won't say any of those things, not even once in this chapel service. 
I want to challenge you to consider going to Urbana 15 for one reason and one reason alone. Because unlike, unlike any conference I've ever seen or even know of, at Urbana 15 you will be challenged to love God and God's world in a way that is costly. In a way that can literally change the world. For less than the annual membership of an Ashley Madison account, you can join 16,000 other college students who are saying to God, God, would you use me? God, would you use me in your great story? God, would you use me to change the world? There's something holy when we give ourselves at the altar of God's great story and say, I'm disposable, I'm dispensable. God, would you use me? Never make the mistake of thinking that love is merely a one-way street. When we give our lives to the mission of love, we find that we become something more. We become that glittering, glowing, shimmering city coming down out of heaven and from the sky with the power to make everything new. Lord, would you bless these sisters and brothers. Help us to believe in magic. The magic that says that this world can be something different, that our lives can be something more, and that our, there are greater things to come. Open our eyes that we might see Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.